Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mostly Harmless Podcast. I am your host, Damian Burford. In today's episode, we talk with Chris Fogel about the gamuts, Tauntaun, and his newest recording studio, Black and Bloom. But before we get to that, let's take a listen to a track off the gamuts' newest album, Parts. This is Delusional. I can't exactly remember the first time I saw the Gamuts. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was uh, at the now defunct 32 Blue here in Colorado Springs. I remember seeing the Gamuts playing in front of about 20 people in this 700 capacity venue. I was there trying to mac on this girl, and it did not go successfully as many of those early uh, mac sessions with me did. Just the fact that I'm calling it macking kind of proves that you know I'm pretty terrible with women. Uh, but that night I picked up their album Endorsed by You, and the rest is history. I've been obsessed with the gamuts and their infectious pop-punk grooves ever since. Uh, there's really not quite another pop-punk band out there. And in fact, they're really 
especially their newest release, a lot less punk rock and just really solid pop band to me. Um, but they still have those punk rock DIY ethos, and that, that really solidifies them into the scene. Um, and the Gamuts are kind of like the Picasso of the pop punk scene. Um, they were ignored, barely looked at in life, but they passed on from this world, and then they kind of, this myth grew up about them. And then, but unlike Picasso, these guys got a second chance at life, and here it is five years after their untimely death as a band. Um, they've kind of reemerged as this Phoenix-like band. Um, they're bigger, better, stronger than ever, and uh, the record parts goes on to show, you know, how fucking great pop punk can still be. Um, the first time I interviewed uh, Gamut's lead singer, Chris Vogel, it was on the eve of their last show. Uh, they were playing a show at the Navajo Hogan here in Colorado Springs. And once again, here they were playing for nothing but like 20, 30 people. Um, I decided to get rip roaring drunk. I was dating a girl I did not very much like at all. And uh, pretty much the only way I could tolerate her is if I drank excessively. And uh, she was often right there along with me drinking excessively. Uh, needless to say, that relationship died pretty quickly after this interview but uh you know me and chris stood outside the navajo hogan we had three false starts i couldn't figure out how to get the, my tape recorder to work that's how intoxicated i was and it just simply was i just forgot to flip this one little switch um but we did do the interview and chris seemed really kind of sad kind of bitter towards the end of the gamuts i went back and reread it a couple of days ago and it's just it was a good first interview in a long time uh, but it wasn't very good. Uh, so when I set out to redo this podcast, to restart Most of the Harmless, I really wanted to do Chris, and I really wanted to do him justice, and really wanted to give that interview a second shot. And here we are. Uh, I drove up to Denver a couple weeks ago, sat down in uh, the new Black and Bloom studios that they're building up there. Uh, Chris took time to stop what he was doing, stop construction on Black and Bloom, and sit and talk with me. Uh, he really didn't know what to expect. <laughs> he wasn't even expecting me. You know, we had talked about it two hours earlier, and he's like, yeah, man, come on down. Here's the address. I show up, and he's like, oh, shit, I forgot you were coming. You know, his head is so wrapped around this new recording studio that pretty much everything else has fallen by the wayside. But luckily for me, he sat down, and uh, we talked, and we chatted, and I'm pretty fucking happy with this interview. Of uh, the few that I did that weekend, this was the one I was really the most nervous about because Chris is one of the guys I really don't know too well. Didn't really know what to talk to him about, um, but we just did this really introspective interview on the life and career of uh, Chris Fogel. Uh, we talked everything about uh, the gamuts to his uh, metal band Tauntaun how we got started at Eight Houses Down, and how that spread into the Black and Bloom recording studio. Uh, I'm really happy to call Chris a friend of mine. I think I've really gotten to know him a lot better through the course of this interview. I'm really excited to see where the gamuts go. They were one of... Hell, fuck that. They're one of my favorite pop-punk bands, and when they reunited, I was so excited. Um, and yeah, their, their new album's fucking stellar. Pick it up now. It's on Suburban Home and Paper and Plastic Records. Uh, and without further ado... Uh, this is uh, me talking with Chris Vogel. All right, so I'm sitting here with uh, Mr. Chris Vogel, uh, lead singer of the Gamuts and of Tauntaun. Um, we're sitting in, uh, what the hell is the name of your studio? I can never pronounce it, all right. Black and Bloom Music. Bloom. Why do you yes. spell it so weird? Um, my grandmother, her last name was Bloom, and she is pretty cool. She When she died a few years back, she... Uh, Nobody knew she had this investment going for all of us uh, cousins. There was six of us. And um, she was a school teacher, public school teacher her whole life. And uh, she started these little investments when we were just little kids. And then she died, and my dad was like, oh, Chris, you're going to be stoked. And uh, 
So she left us a chunk of cash, and then that allowed me to my wife and I to to get our house, and then and get the studio started out of the house. So I kind of did it as a homage to her, kind of a thing. Cool. Yeah. Was that was that like her last name? Yeah, Bloom. Sorry, did I not say that? You might have. Probably, <laughs> you might have. You know, a lot of caffeine so far today. It's still yeah. Early. It's new, what, yeah, one, she was almost one. She was a cool lady, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't I don't know if you remember the first time we met. I barely remember it because I drink so much. Uh, we did an interview for uh, for the second to last Gamut show in Colorado Springs. Oh yeah, I was incredibly drunk and couldn't figure out how to work my tape recorder. We Where had were three, we? The Navajo Hogan. Oh yeah, we had three false starts, and you you were just like, "Come on, kid, get your shit together." I'm gonna go back inside. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember if that's what you said or not, but that was kind of the vibe I got. But you were busy. It was the second to last show. <laughs> and uh, I met you then. I went back and I reread that interview uh, last night, and I was. Uh, but we ended up doing it. Yeah, we did it. It was it was a good, quick little little jolt, and I it, probably it was, didn't have anything good to say, anyways. Yeah, there's a couple of bits. I got I got a couple of things I'll talk about here okay. in a minute. But uh, you know, I got to know you a little bit, um, booking at the Triple Nickel and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I don't really know anything about you. Okay, I'd like to learn. Sweet, so teach me, dude. I love to talk about myself. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> no. No. Most, <laughs> I, oddly enough, I found that most frontmen, uh, most everybody except for myself, hates talking about themselves. Comedians hate talking about themselves, but they'll get up on stage for an hour and a half, and that's all they do. Yeah. I guess that's what you you don't want to do that anymore afterwards. So. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, so basically, that interview we did that night kind of like it, it, it got my juices flowing and kind of kick started the mostly harmless, which ended up the zine I did and then I ended up booking shows at the triple nickel through a long because basically because I met people through that zine so you're kind of responsible for a lot of stuff sweet it's pretty you're welcome <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I don't know whether to thank you or strangle you because it's been a weird hard long road uh but anyway so I mean uh you grew up here in what Denver yeah for the most part I, I went to high school in Broomfield and then got out of there as soon as uh, we graduated yeah. and me and me and my old partner Van Leuven we uh, moved out of there and started making music right away oh yeah uh yeah. like uh when you were in broomfield what was like what were your first musical uh experiences like how did you get into the just first music period? the first stuff that got me stoked really stoked on music was uh metal like when, when i first heard master of puppets i i, I flipped my lid yeah. you know and uh you know before that it was i was just a little skater kid and and my exposure to punk rock was more like I, I didn't even really know what it was. I just thought it was skate rock, you know. Everything to me w- that wasn't like metal or on the radio and, and sounded punk was skate rock. So <laughs> that was my first exposure to punk. And then, um, and then I actually didn't get into punk rock like for real until until much later. But yeah, metal metal got me going, man. Yeah. How did how did you get it going? How, what drew you to it? Well. I don't know, man. I remember exactly where I was when I heard the Master Puppets album, and the guitar. The guitars just blew my mind, and that's when I got rid of my. I grew up playing the drums, and that's when I, I decided to switch to guitar like that day, and I like uh, traded a, a motorcycle or something for a guitar, and um, yeah, that was it. You? I was like, maybe fourteen, nice or something. There's there's no like musical influence before that. Like um, I, I just remember myself. I think I was about six years old, sitting there listening to "Born in the USA," just that one song over oh, and over yeah. and over again. And that kind of like I look now, and it's like well, that's I still listen to "Born in the USA." Just in, I think my idea. first record was a uh, Queen. Another one bites the dust. 
45 when I was really little. That's the first thing I can remember having. But my parents listened to mostly terrible music, yeah. unfortunately. Um, you know, there was no, like, Beatles growing up. There was nothing cool. Like, the coolest thing my dad probably listened to was Neil Diamond, which I still like Neil Diamond. But, um, yeah, it was kind of a bummer because they were, they were very churchy, and so there was a lot of churchy music going around my house and, and – Man, that's probably another reason why I got into metal because it was the Antichrist, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. So uh, you first got into punk rock. You started playing guitars right after Master of Puppets. Uh, when did the gamuts come about? The original lineup. Um, or was there something before that? Uh, not, not, nothing. I'd, I'd like to relive. Um, yeah. yeah. It was me, me and Matt Van Leuven were doing some pretty. Just trying to find our way musically, we didn't know what we were going to play, so we were all over the boards, you know, to bad metal, to grungy stuff, you know, um, combining all these genres into like one totally fucked up thing. Um, so first Gamut's lineup was was me and Matt and Matt, the other Matt Martinez, and that was like '96, I think we've we've looked back and figured that out, and then. Uh, and it changed from there, you know. That was when Matt was Matt Van Leuven was on the drums, even though he was a killer guitar player. Matt Martinez was on bass, and uh, eventually we're like, we got to get Matt playing a stringed instrument, Leuven, and so he switched to bass, and then we got Forrest on the drums, and that lineup stayed the longest. Yeah. Yes. What What was that ride like? I knew. Uh, what was it like going in and you know recording that first record? Those early shows. What were those like? <sighs> So Terrible. fun, but you know we didn't know what we were doing at all. But we felt like we had we had the musical ability to to pull it off, and and Matt had the recording ability, and uh, and you know all this was happening. We were, we were sort of making this studio at the same time, and and meeting all the bands through that and local shows, and and it was exciting, man. Because you know if you're around then the the Denver punk scene was was super fun, and there was so many cool bands and. And the, the shows were, were always big and, and tons of, you know, parties, and we were all pretty tight. You know, we'd party at our house. We'd party over at Scooter's house in Golden. We'd party at all these different places, and that was pretty much it, man. It was one big party. <laughs> uh, you've been doing music, like, music scene now for a while. Was this always what you wanted to do since you were 14? Yeah, pretty much. Was there ever anything else? Like, you weren't going to be a bio physicist or anything no i wanted to be a pro skater before the music thing <laughs> took over but then uh yeah i definitely wasn't good enough for that but that's i obsessed about skateboarding for for you know 24 hours a day before i before i got heavily into music so that's it but that, that was me and bmx bikes oh yeah i was a freestyle bmxer yeah but i never had the balls to actually do anything yeah and yeah i actually i had a wreck um, the last time I really skated was about a year ago, and, you know, I'm old now, and I fell. It was like 9 a.m., and I fell just ollieing up this stupid little box, and I fell so hard on my hip that it, like, crippled me for a year, and I decided right then that I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Not even, like, you know, every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> just done with it. So uh, was, there, was there a moment like you looked around, you're on stage, or you're in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, playing a VFW hall, and you're just like, this is all I want to do for the rest of my life? Or was it pretty pretty much that from the get-go? Uh, I, I just don't. I'm not, very, I'm not good enough at anything else. So I just always wanted to do this because it's what I'm best at. So I think uh, 
it's you know there's always doubts sometimes you know you're like is this the right am I supposed to do this with my life like especially right now you know I'm building this whole new studio and like this is a huge commitment and it's the next step you know and you wonder always in the back of your mind at least I do about big things like that like you know this could be the next 20 years of my life I, I mean I hope it is so I don't know I just kind of keep going and doing the next thing, and and it seems to work out. Yeah. Well, you've you made know. some pretty good records at, just at your house, so I can't yeah. imagine a bigger space you're going to do even better. Uh, I can't wait, man. We've uh, got a lot of upgrades too. Hell yeah! Um, so let, let's keep let's keep back with the sure. uh, the older stuff. Um, how did you guys get started with Eight Houses Down? You were an integral part of that, weren't you? Yeah, um, that was that started at my house in Thornton. Um, I can't take credit for, you know, 90% of the recordings that went on there. It was all Van Leuven. Um, I was always sort of involved, um, but uh, he was the main engineer. And I, I, like, booked a lot of the bands and helped out on recordings. And uh, that went on for, I mean, we recorded so many punk rock records out of that house. I mean, we sat, we had seven inches just lined up all over his wall, you know, that came out of there. It was cool. Um, and then... Uh, he, I don't know, that probably went for seven years before he moved out and got his own space and kind of kept the eight houses down thing going. And then by that time, he wasn't in the gamuts anymore. And and uh, um, I was touring. And, and then I went back to work for eight houses down when Jeff Merkel bought it. And uh, and then the two of us were engineering for Merkel. And then again, I was, I was gone all the time. And I was around when the Antidote record came out. And... Um, so he basically he basically had to lay me off eventually. He couldn't afford two engineers anyways, you know, and it, it wasn't the ideal situation for either of us, I don't think. So So that's kinda where we split there and eight houses is still going and now I have my thing and yeah, yeah it's cool. You guys are still friends, yeah. Bad, totally. but, yeah. Good good friendly competition. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Merkel's a great guy. He's actually I mean, he's he's coming over here tomorrow to like help with some stuff. So I mean that's oh, how yeah. cool he is. Yeah. Uh, so how, how about the uh, the consistent um, member change? You seem to be the only yeah. strong force. You're kind of like a, I've been reading up about Evan Dondo. I might interview him here in a couple of weeks from the Lemonheads, and it's just like Evan Dondo and whoever he can get behind him. That's right. the Lemonheads. Yeah. Is that kind of like it, what it is for you? Well, you know, I wish it wasn't, but it's always <laughs> it's always just kind of worked out that way. I feel like there's some more uh, sort of solidarity in our lineup lately because. Uh, you know, it's it's Forrest again. He's mm. he did the whole new album. We did all the tours for it, and and it's Scott Weigel on bass, and he was in the band before too. So I feel like, you know, at least we went back to one of our best lineups, and um, and and that's been working out great. But yeah, I mean, it's just uh, mostly logistics and like, you know, there was never anything like. I'm I'm sure I was a dick in the past to some people though too. I mean, I feel bad about it because I was young and. And probably up my own ass a little bit, you know. Um, but it's all in the past now. But most of the time, I mean, I, just the fact that like Forrest has come back and is an example that you know, I mean, shit's fine between all of us and all the past members, you know. But yeah. it just doesn't always work out with people, you know. You get in a van or whatever with somebody for for two months straight, and oh, I know. some yeah, you know exactly. Sometimes like shit just doesn't work out, yeah. <laughs> and they you know not everybody wants to do that all the time. Yeah. It's an you intense know. relationship. Those little things that don't bother you on the outside. Once you're stuck in a, with a, somebody in a van for yeah two months, like those little pet peeves start to explode. Yeah, exactly. But I've learned, you know, definitely to uh, 
how how to deal with that kind of stuff better as I've gotten older, you know, and being in those tight, like sketchy situations. You just got to be like, man, don't sweat the small stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah. So uh, I mean, so you guys are you guys are pretty fucking huge in Japan, correct? I don't know if I would say that. Yeah. Um, we're definitely not as popular as we used to be. We mm. that five year hiatus didn't help much. So our last tour was much smaller than the tours we did in the past there. But I think that's true for everybody over there now. I mean, they have, they've experienced the same thing and with record sales going into the toilet as, you know, we have here and people pinching their pennies and But yeah, Japan was definitely our, our best market in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Good times over there. Oh, um why do you think you guys were so big in Japan and not over here in the States? Um, I don't know. Diff- different tastes there. I know that our, our band, our sound isn't, isn't for everybody. Um, and, you know, we also had a lot better label support over there. I think that maybe has more to do with it. <laughs> we had a big push over there. I mean, our first album over there was, was everywhere. We, when, when what we album first, was that? Um, over there, they called it, it was a, it was a, compilation of what they thought was our best songs at the time and it was called uh leaps and bounds and um i mean when we got when we got to tokyo and we started doing these shows we you know we'd walk into tower records and they'd have like a big cutout the gamuts and our album was in like every store and it was really exciting so that's probably why we had this huge push but i think our sound was more palatable to to Japanese. I mean, if you've ever listened to a lot of Japanese pop punk, yeah. it's kind of similar sound-wise. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I listen to those, especially like I picked up Endorsed by You, I think, before I even saw you guys. And mm-hmm. I just, that's a great record. I, I, I think it's very accessible. So maybe it is the, the label know, thing. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I don't know. Cause we worked it hard here, man. We did. Yeah. yeah. And we were, we were getting pretty, pretty popular here for a while. And, it seems we've got fans and we've got fans everywhere, but just in these little pockets, you know, I don't know what would happen if we were to go out on tour in America. Now I have no idea, you know, <laughs> is anything like that in the works? Um, yeah, we're trying to do this thing with red city radio. Oh, I love um, those dudes. I know they're awesome. And we have a new split with them. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. Um, in the, in the spring, just like two weeks Midwest. And I think that'll be a good test Cool. to see what's going on out there, you know? And, and then those guys, those guys, they didn't get record of the year, or but they they damn well should have because that oh that, that record's awesome oh it's it's my favorite pop punk record that I can remember since probably the last Ergs record they're good if not even before that but um so so uh, what what brought along the end of the gamuts like we've talked about this before but I'm curious about it now um yeah. we were just all kind of over it especially me after the last uh, um I mean ultimately yeah I guess it was my decision. But uh, the last tour we did, I mean, we were touring so hard on Antidote, mm. and that was right when, like, there was so much terrible, terrible pop punk or shit that falls under that, mm-hmm. whatever. It was all, like, uh, bad, bad screamo or, like, those those rich white suburban kids doing the really bubblegummy yeah. pop punk that was all over the radio at the time. I, re- I remember you guys opening for Yellow Card. I think it was that a lag wagon tour. But yeah, yeah, exactly. We called that the shit sandwich tour because we were right <laughs> in the middle. Did you guys, Were you guys uh, actually on that tour? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we toured like... I just remember seeing it in Denver. 
Oh yeah, it was a good show. Um, you guys were good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so it the scene was lame. I I hated all the music and all you know a lot of the bands we were playing with. Just couldn't get into it. And you know we were trying to do something a little different with antidote and push the genre maybe a little you know different direction that was going. Um, do you think it and, might have been a little ahead of its time? No, no. I just don't think there was anything really just like it, you know, because I don't see anybody doing that right now. Like it was, you know, ahead of its time or anything. But the, uh, you know, and and that was when everybody started um, pirating music a lot too. And and we and gas prices were going through the roof, and touring was getting harder and harder. We were like, we were like, uh, wow, everybody knows our songs, and the shows are pretty good, but. We did. We only sold ten dollars worth of merch. What's happening? You know, everybody was just stealing the music then. All those things built up, and the lineup was was not ideal at the time. And and uh, I just got home from that tour and was like, "Well, guys, I think calling it quits." I really wanted to do something else, anyways, and start fresh. You know, leave all that baggage behind. But then later on, you know, five years later, it all everything turned positive again. And we're like, yeah, it'd be fun to play those songs again <laughs> and write a new record to go with it. Just put it on rest. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so glad. Like, it all worked out the way it should, you know, because getting getting back together has been the most positive thing. It's been awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen a resurgence, people coming out of the woodwork that were never there before? <laughs> totally, yeah. man. Like, yeah. It's it's funny sometimes at the Gamma Shells, I'm like, holy shit, I have not seen you in like eight years, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember seeing you guys opening up for Alkaline Trio a couple weeks back, and I was just, I I saw you guys with Less Than Jake, but I was already three sheets to the wind when you guys opened. <laughs> tell you how good that it night was. It's a recurring theme. Uh, yeah, I have a habit of that. <laughs> I, that's why I'm sober right now. I'm tr- right. No drink January. Um, but yeah, the Alkaline Trio show was just, it was something else, seeing you guys in front of that huge fucking crowd. Uh, that was fun. Blowing it away. Yeah. And kind of blowing Alkaline Trio off the off the stage, because they weren't that good that night, I didn't think. They were, yeah, they, were, they were lacked the energy that I that I liked so much about yeah. them you know, back in the day. Maybe they should take five years off. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so the gamuts broke up. You went through a little lull, but, uh, yeah, not doing anything. What well, you got married, bartended. Right. Yeah. I, I had to get, you know, my real life in order for a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pay the bills. What brought about Tauntaun? Um, uh, what's in, in Tauntaun for those of you who don't know was the, what, Black metal? Was it black metal? Just metal oh, band? Yeah, just metal. It's kind of yeah. like uh, older school metal. Not like sort of a combination between maybe seventies metal and, and early nineties speed metal. Yeah, I it was guess. Good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I love it. We're doing another show here. Oh, we yeah. just had our first practice uh, a couple nights ago in here. <laughs> yeah. It's for uh, Reverend Jim, right? Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, that was um, me and Matt, uh, Maddie Clark. We're both working at Illegal Pete's, and uh, you know we were getting into all these bands like The Sword and all that kind of stuff that was coming out of the time. And like, man, oh, and we were trying. Like, I'd been doing demos and writing songs like forever for, and we knew the lineup was going to be currently what it is. All those guys, Ian and Matt, Maddie and uh, and Dave Barker, and um, Pat, sending demos to these guys and just trying to figure out what we wanted to do as a band. It was all over the place. I mean, it went from like the mellowest. Elliot Smithy sounding stuff to like to Tauntaun 
and nobody got stoked until I sent him these metal things. Me and Maddie were, were closing up the restaurant one night, and he's like, we're both, we should just do a band like this, man. Like, cause we all had that in common. We all had metal in common in our, yeah. in our backgrounds. And, uh, I said, all right, I'll, I'll throw together a demo. I sent it to him like next couple days and everybody's just like, yes, let's do this. This is awesome. Blew their minds. So that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I liked how like in last of the mullets, you know, it's talking about you. I don't know if it's you in particular, but being the last of a dying like metal arena yeah. rock breed. And then you go and start an arena rock. Well, I, I don't know about arena rock, but you know, could that, be that huge. I wish it was maybe in, in the eighties. <laughs> Shit would have been yeah, gigantic man. and massive. Yeah. You guys did pretty fucking good. I remember the LP release party was packed house. I came up for that. Cool. It was awesome. Yeah, um, and then, so what What? What brought about the uh, rebirth of the gamuts? Um, I think that started with, a, with like an email or a phone call from Japan, and they wanted us to go back just for a reunion thing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was like, of course, that sounds amazing. But then I thought, well, you know, let's, I don't want to just be reunion tour guy and like almost seems like playing in a cover band, you know? So we just talked to the dudes and I was like, I called Forrest right away. I called Scott right away. And I was like, you guys think you can do this? And, and I think we should just write a new album for it instead and then and plan around that. And they're, they're like, hell yeah, let's do it. And uh, that was it. You know, called those guys up in Japan, and they were like, "Yes, that sounds great, new album." Yeah. So, turned out awesome. What, what what was it like putting that persona back on? Was it any uh, different? natural, like just riding a bike? Yeah. yeah. What, was so it hard easy. switching gears from like the Tauntaun S stuff back to this? No? no, just all natural. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's like two sides of my songwriting brain for sure. Yeah. You know, I I can approach a, writing a song from a very melodic perspective, like in the gamuts or just go complete riffy and rhythm in you know cool yeah what is it what is your songwriting process like do you have a routine do you sit down every day pick up the guitar try to write something when i'm yeah when i'm trying to be productive for sure that's how that went for that album i i had a deadline i worked better with deadlines and i had um you know i had it marked on my calendar like i had to have a, a complete song by this time every month and I tried to stick to that. So yeah, pretty much every day I get up in the morning, grab the acoustic, see what I can come up with, or or you know, flesh out the songs I already had going. And um, you know, you, it's harder when you get older, man. You, you're so busy, and yeah. you actually have to like you know put this stuff on your calendar and make time for it, or it just doesn't get done. You know, unless you're a full time musician, if you're lucky enough to do that and get paid for that, I yeah. don't know what that's like though. <laughs> <laughs> Is this all you're doing right now? The recording studio and mm-hmm. playing? Wow. Yeah, recording for the last three years. That's that's all I've been doing, and it's been it's been booked pretty solid, man. I couldn't be happier. Yeah, well, the records are sounding great. I think so. Uh, you already talked about how that came about. Um, let me go back. I got some other. What else do I got here? So, uh, so the reception this last year for the Gamuts has been pretty pretty outstanding, right? The record's getting amazing, re- amazing reviews, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know about it. Maybe uh, yeah, I, don't, it. I don't think people were yeah shitting their pants or anything, but oh, shit <laughs> my pants. Well, I was excited. I I you know for me it's just I, I'm just happy with what what came out, um, and and just having anybody show up at our shows mm-hmm. was was great, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll keep doing it. You know I don't know. Is it is it selling pretty good? I mean I don't I don't even know what like like it's all streaming now. You know yeah. Um, I guess the vinyl's done pretty good, but you know. 
just like everybody else, we don't sell jack at shows. It's Nobody bizarre. buys anything, and and I, you know, I'm I'm the same way. I I I stream everything now. You know, I pay my monthly fee and I stream. I don't know because <laughs> it's so convenient. I, otherwise, I buy vinyl yeah. and get a download card with it. You know. Oh uh, yeah, I buy the. I definitely am, I've become a vinyl collector. I used to be a comic book kid, so. I, I I'm not I can't afford to now be a comic book kid, but I, I was the guy who had to buy every single individual issue, and I couldn't trade paperbacks were shy. Oh against. yeah, they you know I didn't like them. Um, so so to me, people not buying music just I, I have to have that physicalness. But then again, I turn around, and put it on my iPod, and right. I'm lucky if I ever pick up the LP ever again. So yeah, <laughs> but it's crazy. LP. I mean, it, it's cool that the vinyl now sells better than CDs. Like. Most bands that I'm, I've been recording, they'll they'll be like, so you know, how how did you guys release your stuff, or what what do you think we should do? I'm like, well, you know, press a hundred CDs and give them away, because you're not gonna if you press a thousand CDs, you're just gonna have these boxes of CDs sitting yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then press some vinyl, even though it's expensive. At least people, a handful full of people, will buy that. So, uh, of all the Gamut's records, do you have a particular favorite or one that you feel mostly proud of? I guess Antidote would be it, right? Probably, yeah. yeah. But actually, the new one too, man. I'm real proud of the new one because um, it has a more. Uh, it's exactly what we planned. Like it's a more. Uh, it's just a, it's a solid punk record, and all the songs fit together. Antidote, little more variety on it, you know, mm-hmm. and the the songwriting was a little bit. Um, and it was way more focused on melody than anything else. And the only thing I don't like about Antidote is that it just doesn't rock as hard as the rest, <laughs> you know? And I totally, like, that's just, I, I just did it that way, kind of unintentionally. And now when I listen to it, I'm like, man, this this album, the songs are great. I just wish it rocked a little harder, <laughs> and it, it totally could have, you know? Yeah. But I always was like, man, we in the gamuts, we take every good melody and we speed it up so fast that the melody suffers. And so that's what we tried to do on Antidote was, like, make the melody do what it's supposed to do without, like, just concentrating so much on having having it to be a punk rock song. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then with parts, it kind of married the two, I think. So yeah. pretty happy with both those. That's cool. I, uh, I, I, I've... Whenever I make mixtapes, especially for girls who are like, what do you like? <laughs> what are you into? I always throw uh, Last of the Mullets on there, and that's usually the song that gets you laid i know not only that it, it yeah exactly it gets me laid i was gonna say turns girls on but it's just like yeah that's it that's it. that that's one of the greatest pop punk songs i think ever written that's the best thing i've ever heard about that song yes it's great it's fantastic um it, it worked it, yeah well i mean it's just such a fucking good song um Thanks, man. Uh, any plans to remaster and re-release some of those older albums i think i'd heard somebody's who had recorded here uh my buddy i used to live with Devin from layman terms oh yeah and he was a big fan of the album he would always tell me like you know they used to tell me they never really liked the mix on that album or oh, something almost, by you yeah. yeah the vocals are buried and that was my fault yeah. any any why not uh we can't we can't remix it because all those sessions are gone oh shit yeah i wanted to remix uh antidote too just for myself um just for fun but uh, those are gone. I don't know why. And uh, they were remastered. All that shit was remastered for that box set that Virgil put out. Oh. Um, but it's kind of, I don't know. I don't really like the way it turned out. 
But I think that shit's just all going to remain the way it is okay. forever. Yeah. yeah. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Posterity. You yeah, can look back I don't really and go, see the point at this point. Yeah. It's kind of like George Lucas going back in and right. adding shit into Star Wars. Yeah, even, you know, if some, like I look at some of my favorite albums that I love that sound kind of shitty technically, you know, like yeah. I can think right off the top of my head, Dillinger 4, Midwestern Songs of the Americas. It's a muddy yeah. mess, you know, <laughs> but if you changed the sound of that album, it would bum me out, yeah. even that, if it sounded yeah. 10 times better. That's what I like about it, that raw energy. Yeah, man. That's what I like about music is the energy, not, I, I don't, I can listen to shitty re- recordings, but if it's got that oomph to it, I yeah, can yeah. Uh, I can get into it. Totally. So. Um, but I, I I I know there's copies of Endorsed by You and Antidote out there on vinyl, and I'd I'd kill to get those again. So that would be nice if they repressed that record. Yeah. Either um, I'd take either one. I you know, or both. Double box it. We never did Antidote on vinyl. You never did? No. Oh, that'd be great to get. Yeah, Virgil talked about it. Um, when we were getting back together here, he thought it'd be a good idea, but it never happened. Yeah. That would be awesome, though. I'd like to have that on vinyl. Yeah. So uh, this new song, Delusional, um, yeah. I love that song. Thanks. Except you make fun of my favorite Bruce Springsteen record in it. No, I wasn't making fun of the record at all. Uh, I love that record. Yeah. I was making fun of the the douchey indie rockers that oh, yeah. uh, ch- think they're as good as Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, for, the, for the last couple of years, I'm kind of really fucking sick of the uh, punk rock guys going acoustic. Because most of them can't it's, do it very well. Yeah, I think it's great. It's funny because... It, you know, yeah, it's punk rock uh, musicians are not necessarily known as the best musicians, and when right. you strip away all that distortion and and noise, it really kind of uh, exposes some bad musicianship. <laughs> I, don't know. I was I was listening to that song today, and like some of the parts of it, I could kind of hear like five years ago, jaded Chris talking to younger Chris, but maybe through the eyes of new Chris, <laughs> some kind of time warp stream thing going on there. I don't know if I was just making that up, but that was kind of my interpretation of it today. It was pretty interesting. That's funny that that song, um, people ask more about that song than, than anything on, on parts. It, it sticks out. Yeah. I remember it. I, w- I was humming it as I walked in here. It's like, yeah, dumb. yeah, yeah. I love it. It's a good song. Thanks man. Um, so yeah, um, you guys got this split with Red City Radio coming out and mm-hmm. possible tour. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, you know, I learned through, of those guys through Paper and Plastic because we became label mates. And uh, before that, I hadn't heard of them. Wow. And um, checked them out, and I was like, "Wow, this is these guys are great." And uh, so, as soon as they came to Denver. Well, we started talking before that, though. I actually contacted them, and I was like, hey, I like you guys. We're label mates, blah, blah, blah. And they hadn't heard the gamuts either, really. Um, and they became big fans. And so we just became fans of each other and then went and met them when they came and played the uh, the uh, Rockaway over here. And we partied that night and hit it off. And then we stayed in touch, got everybody's numbers, and uh, also chatted on the Twittersphere. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, we're like, we should do a split. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, they're good dudes. My uh, very first short-lived band played their first show with them about three years ago. We were, were terrible. In, they were great. In in Springs? Or yeah, what? in Springs, the Triple Nickel. Yeah. Back, well, way back in the day, nobody had ever heard of them, and they uh, blew us out of the fucking water. Well, man, four dude, all four dudes in the band can sing yeah. harmony and stuff. There's a lot of talent in that band. It's kind of jealous. Well, they were, yeah. Um, they're, they're awesome. I can't wait for that tour. Um, if you guys need a tour manager... Yeah. I am experienced and hireable. All right. And cheap. All right. Um, so, yeah, well, one last thing. Do you have a uh, van we can borrow? No. <laughs> <laughs> we just borrow Snodgrass's van. 
You'll rent it out. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, so how how did you uh, you were vegetarian for what thirteen years? Yeah. Well, the more I was vegan for the first three, then vegetarian for like um, maybe eight, and then I started eating fish for the last few years. I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, thirteen years total of depriving myself. That that first bite of steak was delicious, one huh? It was bacon, actually. Bacon even better. <laughs> Ooh. The gateway meat, they call it. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, that's that's really about all I got for you. Yeah. Thanks thanks for sitting down for me. I, uh, when can we expect your new studio to be up and running? Well, twenty eighth, I have the gamut scheduled to track. We're going to be the guinea pigs. Oh, work nice. out the bugs. Cool. So. What, like what, two weeks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you got to set those deadlines, around, right? Yeah, there's a lot to do, but I think it's doable. We've we've got, already gotten a lot more done than I thought we would. Yeah. By uh, now. What, what else do you have planned for the studio here? Meaning construction wise? Like, who's coming through? What's coming? Oh, uh, what you got? February's looking good. What are you excited about? Drag the rivers coming in February. Oh, nice. Um, and they're doing a bunch of songs, and then um, I'm doing the new Tin Horn Prayer full length in February. Um, and then there's like two other bands in February, and then March is looking good too. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked, stoked for a lot of stuff coming in here. Cool. How can people find out about about the studio? Um, I don't. You can go to blackandbloom.com, but it just takes you to my Facebook page because it's not a real website yet. Cool. Um, but it's B L U H M Bloom yeah. Black in bloom i'll throw that up on my web page too some Thanks, links dude. and whatnot um anything else you got that you're excited about um yeah no. bronco game tonight yeah sports <laughs> sports tim I tebow think watch the local sports match on the television <laughs> that's how i feel about it <laughs> um all right well thanks thanks chris yeah, thanks, thanks for sitting Amy. down and talking to me man for sure man it's fun thanks dude yeah okay bye bye <laughs> well all right there buddies that was our good buddy chris uh, again, I'd like to thank Chris for sitting down and talking to us about uh, the gamuts, Tauntaun, Black and Bloom, and everything in between. Uh, he's a really good, funny, handsome guy. And again, I'm really glad I can call call this motherfucker a friend of mine. Uh, the Red City Radio Split we talked about is out now on Paper and Plastic Records. It's a great little 7-inch. I don't actually own it, but it is streaming online on uh, the Paper and Plastic page. I've probably listened to it a good 10 or 20 times. Uh, Red City Radio is another fucking amazing band. If you have not checked them out, uh, I think they were quite honestly robbed for uh, number one record of the year by punknews.org. They seriously put out the best pop punk record in a long, long, long time. Uh, and I can't wait for them and the gamuts to join forces and tour together and take over this world. Uh, again, you can see the Gamuts next March 9th at the Summit Music Hall in Denver. Uh, they're playing with Teenage Bottle Rocket, Tin Horn Prayer, and the almighty Less Than Jake. And, of course, Vinny from Less Than Jake is the owner of Paper and Plastic Records. Uh, Tauntaun, they're playing a rare reunion show uh, in benefit for the Reverend Jim, owner of Three Kings Tavern, who uh, got bit by a spider, almost died. Hospital bills are through the roof. Can't really cover it. Uh, so all these great Denver bands that people have uh, done this series of uh, benefit shows for Reverend Jim and Tauntaun's playing on February 10th with Get Some, Lion Sized, and the other band slips my damn mind because I'm a fool and didn't write it down. And again, thanks for listening to uh, this podcast. I'm overwhelmed by the positive feedback I've been receiving, uh, the amount of downloads and retweets, repostings. It just blows my mind. Like When I set out to do this, I just wanted to do I just wanted to become a part of something again. I just wanted to talk to people I know and love and get to know some more of my heroes. And then 
you guys are just blowing me away. I'm really glad you guys are enjoying this as much as I enjoy making it. Uh, so if you like what you hear, please leave me a little review on iTunes. It helps out. helps the iTunes rankings. Subscribe to iTunes. Um, getting those little downloads puts, pushes us up that uh, iTunes chart there. And when PR people and record label people see these podcasts up there, they know that they're not wasting their time giving, granting me access to their artists. Uh, tell your friends, please. Uh, like us on Facebook. Again, that helps the PR people see that we do have some reach out there. And, uh, you know, thanks again for listening. Just shoot me a little email here or there. Tell me if you like it. Tell me if you don't like it. In fact, please tell me what you don't like so I can fix it. Everything is overwhelmingly positive, so I'd like to hear some negative feedback so I can compare and contrast. And again, for more information about Chris Fogel and his many, 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 many projects, please visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. I'm going to have all those links up there on the uh, webpage. And I'll leave you today. Let's leave you with that little song we talked about, me and Chris. Little songs that makes the magic happen for me. This is the Gamets with their cosmic opus. You can find this song on their album, Endorsed by You. The song makes babies happen. The song is The Last of the Mullets. <laughs>